Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 176. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 176 you're listening to. My guest today is producer, engineer, and mixer Phil Grace. Now, I'm going to make a confession here. Phil is one of those guys that's out there working and doing phenomenal work and doing work that is charting, doing work that is getting his artists' attention. And meanwhile, there are those of us who remain a little bit clueless as to the work that he's doing. And I'm just going to confess right now, there's a lot of these artists that I am just now getting turned on to that Phil's been working with. And I'm talking about p- people like uh, Willie William, Jay Balvin, Cat Dahlia, many names in French that I'm going to slaughter that I'm not going to even <laughs> attempt to pronounce. Nancy Logan, Sarah Riani, Humphrey. Uh, there's just, a, there's a ton. There's a huge list here that I am just kind of overwhelmed by. So Phil has been doing work with a lot of these people, whether he's producing or mixing or co-writing or any of these things. And when he sent me the list of these things and I started to click on links, you know, okay, this is this chart topping thing. And like, and you go look at these things on say YouTube, they have like millions of hits. And you're like, where have I been? Have I been in, I've been in a little cave, not really listening to much music outside of my normal range of music. And that's where uh, having a guy like, like Phil on today is really great because it kind of personally it pushes against my boundaries a little bit because let's face it you know sometimes we kind of just get stuck in our own little lane of music and we don't really look too far to the left or to the right of us to see what else is going on I am guilty of that so I'm really honored to have Phil on Phil is a recommendation from my friend Stefan uh, thank you Stefan for uh, suggesting Phil and Phil and I met at uh, the last Nam show we talked about what he's working on, what he's doing. That was a really good time. And after I got done, I was like, wow, I can't really wait to talk to him. He's going to be, he's going to be really cool. He's going to be very interesting. So I hope you agree. So there it is. Phil Grace coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. A little bit of music news for the United States. And I'm going to have to have on uh, my good friend, Mike Winger, who's the uh, director of the Recording Academy here in the Bay Area to come on and really school us on this, but uh, I'm talking about the Music Modernization Act, and that has passed the House of Representatives recently in Washington, and it is now on its way to uh, the Senate. So we'll see what happens after that. And this is Bill H.R. 5477 that recently passed uh, with 415 votes, um, overwhelmingly supported by, you know, the music industry, and it's got bipartisan support, and it's co-sponsored by uh, Robert Goodlatte. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He's a Republican. from Virginia and Gerald Nadler, a a Democrat from New York. Basically, the whole concept is is it's uh, meant to improve royalty payments to songwriters, artists, and creative people in in this digital era that we live in. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can read more about it, but it's uh, definitely uh, being hailed as as an improvement in the way things are done. So we'll have to see if it passes the the Senate. And uh, if so, then we can all, you know, raise our hands and, and cheer. In the meantime, uh, I will put a few links to a couple different articles, and you can check it out for yourself. That's the Music Modernization Act, uh, currently making its way through Washington, D.C. And a bit of sad news in uh, the world of music in general, and specifically in the world of EDM. Uh, the young, very young artist Avicii, uh, according to uh, Rolling Stone, has died of an apparent suicide. I'm sure you all have heard of this. He was a Swedish DJ and producer, and... Uh, quite successful very successful and uh, i can't confirm that his uh, his death was uh, a suicide i'm i'm basically you know looking this up and seeing uh, mentions of it online uh, so i don't want to jump to conclusions but um you know it's just it's tragic we've we've lost a, a, a lot of great artists whether from uh, suicide or from god this whole opioid thing which is just just out of control you know of course we've recently uh, 
like two year anniversary of uh, Prince's death, which was, yeah, I mean, what can he say? It was Prince, geez. So, you know, just a, a general thought, you know, if you listen to the podcast and you're having a tough time and you're trying to, you're struggling with how things are going in your life, if you really seriously, if you have any kind of thoughts about suicide, please take some time, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's uh, 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day if you need to talk to somebody. So make sure you, you reach out and, and call that number if you are having thoughts of these, uh, because there's a lot of talented people out there. Many of you are talented in many ways that you're not really aware of, I think. And uh, it's, you know, you got to make sure that you don't uh, cut your life short and think that you're not talented and you have nothing to offer because we all have something to offer. There's uh, something unique about all of us. So, uh, you know, keep your chin up and uh, call that number if you are having uh, any of these thoughts. Hey, I know it's been a while since we've talked about uh, backing up or archiving stuff and in the event of an emergency of a hard drive failure, anything like that. I uh, just want to remind you that uh, on under the WCA bonus content, I have a link that says WCA recommends. Under there is the link to Backblaze. It's so dead simple, friends. It's five bucks a month. It's unlimited uh, space on the server jump on it make sure that your your machine is backed up it backs up continually in the background or on a schedule whatever you need and the thing about it is that i really like is it tracks your computer which is great so if you're for example on a laptop or even if on, you're on a desktop and there's a theft and somebody takes your machine, the minute that machine gets turned on, it's going to start, you know, trying to reach out to Backblaze and Backblaze is going to get a ping, which will tell it physically where it is so you can trace your machine. So uh, be sure to check that out. That's at Backblaze.com. But it, more importantly, you can uh, just go to WCA Recommends under the WCA bonus content on the Working Class Audio website. Yeah, don't forget about the website. Stop by if you haven't stopped by in a while and check it out. See if uh, we have some content there that'll work for you. Make sure you head on over to gearsluts.com. Check out the subform Audio Life that we sponsor here. As I always tell you, go check out uh, Universal Audio site. Always great stuff happening over there. Go check it out, uaudio.com. Go see some of the great videos over there. And that's it. So uh, I think we should get on with it. Let's talk to our friend, Phil Grace, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. You've been uh, doing a little bit of traveling, it seems, you, or, or at least you've been busy because we've been trying to put this together. Tell me about your uh, your travel schedule because my impression is, is that you travel a lot. I uh, I do, I do. I used, it used to be actually much worse, much worse before as far as changing countries and hopping, you know, from uh, territory to territory. For the last uh, the last few months, I have been uh, working here in uh, Los Angeles, but prior to that, I used to just country hop from Canada to France to Spain to to Germany. A lot of uh, back and forth with Stockholm as well. I must say that I enjoy it, but it does takes a toll on the body, I would say. But it's it it is fun. I mean, it's some sort of a it, it is somewhat of a of a blessing to be yeah. able to actually, you know, kind of. Uh, uh, country hop like this you know that i was going to ask you about this because you know traveling you know i don't travel pro uh, probably even a quarter of the amount that you do but i do travel and it is hard going through airports you know boarding unboarding <laughs> get, getting your bags getting your baggage lost the whole process is very taxing on the system so what are your travel tips in terms of physical travel tips like how do you stay healthy and deal with jet lag and deal with the you know i'm sure you've been sick a few times traveling first of all you i think gradually you grew to really not like airports and airlines <laughs> that's something that just comes you know with uh, doing so much so much travel one funny thing about airports and security points is you can tell I said the musicianship level uh, of certain countries. For example, I know that when I travel from France, for example, to Stockholm, uh, they will open my backpack and, and they will look at my uh, sound card uh, or my iLock and they'll, they'll go nuts. They'll go, what is this? 
you know, thinking it might be some uh, some evil device. Whereas in Stockholm, <laughs> when I go from Stockholm to Paris, they just know. <laughs> oh, I luck. Oh, all right. Oh, you know, USB USB keyboard. <laughs> I mean, it just it just tells you that there's a lot of very very creative and talented people in Sweden when it comes to music. <laughs> That's funny you say that. I remember going through Detroit. And uh, the person, uh, the the security people at, at the X-ray machine, pulled me aside and were like, "What's this?" And it was my SPL meter. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, "Well, do- let me explain that to you." And I so I actually stopped. It's like, so here's how it works. And you know, I literally gave them a lesson in how an SPL meter works, and they were all like staring at me, like, "Wow, that's pretty cool. Thanks. Well, you can go now." <laughs> The line behind you must have been really delighted as well. <laughs> right. But as far as tips, I know that um, the two the two main jet lags I've been facing is six hours and nine hours. Nine hours being from from California to uh, uh, to uh, Central Europe, uh, Paris or, or London, Stockholm, and the other one would be from Montreal, you know, to Paris. And for both, I think the the one tip that I that I uh, Going from let's let's just say going from LA to Paris uh, and going from Montreal to Paris, the tip is sensibly the same. It's essentially once you land, it will be between the hours of you know eight a.m. and eleven a.m. Europe time. Find a bed as soon as you can, and you have and, and give yourself like a short night of a couple of hours, not more, like two hours, so that you wake up around one or two p.m. You know. Paris time, and then you go to bed again at 10 or 11 p.m. And that way you can get adjusted uh, fairly quickly because I used to not do that and I would be a zombie <laughs> for two weeks waking up, essentially kind of a, kind of a landing in Paris and having a full night starting at 11 a.m., waking up at 8 p.m. and having breakfast at 10 p.m. And I would be completely upside down for like two weeks. <laughs> so I think the key is having a short night, very short night, so you can sleep again 10 hours later. Do you uh, are you a health conscious person when as far as eating? I try to be. I really do try to be and it's not always easy. It's uh, but it's it's so important. Uh, the irony is the the heavier the schedule, the more I should be and the less I am. <laughs> you know? I think yeah. I'm I'm much more wise with my choices when the schedule is not as heavy but it's so important and uh, yeah overall health management for our work is extremely important and it's very disregarded i must say my last trip to europe i made a point of trying to avoid sugar and drinking a ton of water the entire time that was helpful but still you know the jet lag kicked in and i just had to adjust yes yes i can uh, i can relate <laughs> I, I bet you have uh, uh, your favorite airlines and your favorite airports. Lately, my my back and forth. I've been from Stockholm to um, to Los Angeles, and even you know what? Even from Paris to Stockholm, for both, I use Norwegian. Uh, really, an amazing uh, an amazing company. I really uh, fell in love uh, with that company. First of all, it's a low cost company. Uh, uh, I, I discovered them while looking for a way to go very often to Stockholm from Paris. Mm-hmm. And um, they're a low cost that has Wi Fi on board. So you're, you're, it's really cool. You, you're just never disconnected. And it's, it's like a, it was like a two hour flight, always on time, and uh, Wi Fi on board. And then I, uh, I learned that they also did you know, long distance flights. Uh, and uh, and oddly enough, the long distance flights, I mean, they're not as, I mean, they're actually not cheap and there's no Wi-Fi. Still, it's still, uh, I mean, it's still a good deal and uh, it's uh, it's a good company. I like that company. I bet you have a lot of frequent flyer miles. Oh my God. I, I used to be really, you know, on point and have that like going for myself a few years ago and I kind of lost track of all this stuff and whenever I have to take like I just I book a plane and I don't even think about it anymore but very important I lost track of all that bad boy <laughs> that's okay there's there you know you got plenty of time you get it figured out um well I want to go back a bit you were born in France correct that's correct 
actually I'm looking for the point at which doing audio work, doing production work and, and, and or songwriting and or recording, where did that come from for you? It's so funny you asking me this question. I had, I had a talk lately with, uh, with my good friend Saint. Uh, he's, a, he's a producer and A&R at, uh, at Warner. And we were, we were asking each other, how did we know? You know, it was going to be, or what was the signal? And I remember telling him, for myself, it was actually extremely early in life. And um, the, my, my calling was, I was in the car and I was listening to, uh, to something that was playing on the radio. I think my dad was driving. And I think it was an Alphaville song. Sounds like a melody. That's it. That's the song. And in that song, there's some sort of breakdown. I remember that during the breakdown, the volume of the song started to be kind of like uh, to, to rise due to the the very slow release compressors of radio, uh, broadcast radio compressors over there. So I remember the, the volume of the breakdown being very, very, very uh, crescendo, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember that feeling of, oh, my God. I think I know this song because, you know, my dad you, uh, listens to that song as well at, uh, at our home. And I know that it's going to get loud. <laughs> it's going to get loud. And I heard the crescendo, crescendo. At the moment of getting out of that breakdown, when the, dr- the drum section was going to, you know, hit again, I was like, this is going to crush my ears. And the, the broadcast compressor kicked in and I felt safe. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what happened? Wait a second, I was supposed to, you know, be crushed by this and I did not. Something magical happened and kind of t- took care of this thing. I remember being mesmerized by what happened and it always stayed with me. As, as far as the musical, the whole musical journey, I started, uh, I was kind of forced by, by, my, by my mom. My mom wanted me to pick up an instrument and she tried everything. Like she, she made me take violin lessons when I was four and I couldn't care less. I was going there because the the teacher was go, was giving like candy at the end. She tried. Uh, I tried singing as well. She put me in a choir. Same thing. Couldn't care less. But uh, when she tried piano, something stuck with me. I really loved the piano. Uh, however, I w- did not like the um, the discipline that came with it. Mm. So I took I took years of classical uh, classical piano. Eight years uh, of classical piano, and that ended with uh, with, uh, with a bit of drama actually because of a. Uh, an argument over the finger placements for the Fantasy Impromptu de Chopin, which uh, which is, I mean, it's a classical piece that uh, that is somewhat technical, and I would not follow the finger placement that was on the uh, score chart, right? Because they tell you exactly what to put, what finger, what note. And so my teacher would actually use a baguette, a little stick to actually correct my fingers. And, and, and that particular time, he actually hit my fingers really hard and my, my hand flew. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, was, I was told to not come back. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. look at that, bad boy. <laughs> and uh, so uh, then it was just me and the piano at home. And I just started to, you know, enjoy being more, I guess, creative with the instrument instead of performing. Mm-hmm. And s- little by little, I just uh, started to do uh, little recordings. I had a little, you know, tape recorder I would I would um, use to record parts uh, that I would play along with a little drum machine that I had as well. And I would like program drum beats, then play piano over that and record that on tape. And, and those were my first, you know, recording... Uh, experiences i guess did Uh, you did you have a desire to do that like as as a youngster did you feel like well i i should do this for a living this should be my job i knew very early on yes i get asked this question fairly often and yeah the answer is always the same i really knew uh it was very clear for me i had this path in my head the path i mean where i ended up is not what i had in my head i was very into film music back then I remember him being very mesmerized by uh, the score of Rain Man by Hans Zimmer. And, and I was like, I love the sound of this music. I love the emotion of it. I got to find a way to buy a synthesizer and just go after him. <laughs> very, very early on. Like uh, my plan was I'm going to buy this. I'm going to make some commercial commercial music and then I'm going to do some film music. So I was very mov- um, film music oriented. 
uh, in my in my vision. But that was fairly early on, like I was twelve or fourteen. How did recording and music? Because you mentioned recording early on, right? Did those were those like two two different uh, disciplines that? you carried with you or did you lean more heavily in one over the other music was always my first calling the whole creative uh creative aspect of coming up with you know a, a fresh idea or just like a, a creation and recording it was a necessity because i needed people to hear what i was doing so it was first a necessity and then pushing it further and 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 really diving into audio came out of frustration from having other people finish my, my my song essentially you know going to a studio mm. and then have someone else record the vocals and you know, kind of mix it and the result was was a process of anxiety for me and and never was happy never never was happy i started to actually dive more into this and tried to become self-reliant so that i could actually deliver a vision that was in my head without anyone else anyone else's intervention so it was really out of almost survival that audio became also part of of what i do it's empowering for musicians to take control of their recording world i completely understand that i you know i remember on one of the first records that i i did in my early 20s as a drummer being very not happy with the the final mix of one of a band i was in uh the first record thinking this is not how i want this to sound absolutely but you have no control exactly exactly it's it's especially when you're starting out i mean there's no way to hide when you're starting out you're walking out you're walking in a studio for the first time you know you you just have that smile and you're like oh all those machines that guy must know what he's doing <laughs> and um yeah it turns out that the people who know what they're doing, I will, I will, I will keep it to the audio world. <laughs> but the people who know what they're doing, their their names are known. Maybe it's maybe it's just my my luck, but I've I've never been lucky as far as finding someone to work with before I started to do everything myself. Finding someone to work with who would just understand, you know, what was there, what was given to them, and then just you know, add the right spices or do the right moves and not try to not try to infuse their own vision of it. Because usually when you, I find that most of the time, a song and the way it's recorded and presented and, and produced is a clear guide to where it needs to be to be in a finished state. Like it's not, you know, it's it's I find that the finishing job or the finisher job that is uh, mixing, for example, mm. is is there's not a lot of guesswork. There's there's just um, being able to read, you know, a map that's in front of you, and and then helping the song that is already there, and the song is telling you, I need to to go there. Help me go there. Don't don't make me go left or right. Just help me go up. It is interesting, though. That is. When you're connecting with somebody who has a clear vision, yeah. no matter what, and I mean, you can actually trace this experience to working with a band. If you're a songwriter and you bring the, the, the song to the band that you play in, the minute you reveal it to them, the way everybody plays it, they're not machines. They're going to put their own personal thing into it. Yeah. So with the mix, it seems that the minute the song is done it even if it's in a, a pretty flushed out state in in a tr in a in a in a daw there's still going to be room for interpretation on the mix engineer's part because they're gonna they're gonna they may say oh, okay he wants this this reverb how much of that reverb they provide will will definitely impact the the mix it's always those like vocals their level up or down and the amount of reverb always seems to be the two key factors that are always the icebreakers with clients for me it's like okay i'll have a client that doesn't want any reverb whatsoever mm. and then i go to the next client and they're like oh man you gotta put more reverb mm. but i've been influenced by the previous client a bit so i'm kind of a little more conservative so right. it's i totally get it and i 
I respect the fact that you have this musical talent because I can't write a song to save my life. And uh, to take all the, the musical talent, and the production talent, and combine that with some recording and engineering and mixing talent, that's a good package. It's not easy to be in my brain sometime uh, when, when everything <laughs> has to kind of combine, you know. I'm constantly, when I'm writing, I'm mixing. And when I'm mixing, I'm... I'm arranging, I'm trying to make space as well, you know. When I'm mixing, I'm listening as well. I'm like, okay, I'm, I need to be the listener right now. How do I feel about this song? And then go back technical also. It's, um, it's a constant like back and forth. Um, I think that the one of the key for, for, for mixing engineers today is understand what the, the clients have been listening to probably for, for a month or two or even, you know, God knows how long. Paying attention and understanding at the emotional level the demo that they've been living with. That is something that's very, very important uh, for me. Nowadays, especially nowadays, I will really require to know what what's the latest version of the project and what have you guys been listening to. Because I've been fooled uh, a few times with just doing my thing and delivering um, delivering a song, for example, at mixed level where... That they had been living with um, maybe not as good of a mix as the one that I did, but extremely loud. Mm. And the perception, essentially, and the impact of, of, of the work that I gave them was, was like none. It was, oh, no, that sucks. Well, it's not that it sucks. It's just that right now you're comparing my mix, which is, you know, 8 or 12 dBs, you know, quieter than, than your demo to your demo and, and I get that you know it's very, I, I really feel that knowing what they've been living with is key to actually um, deliver something that they can feel is an improvement over what they've been you know living with for the last uh that's that's always a, a battle I've that's raged on in me for years. Is, yeah. you know, trying to be the proper audio engineer and deliver a mix that a mastering engineer can then take and do their thing with. Yeah. But selling that to a client, they're like, "What's this?" <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Based on a, a little bit of my research, it seems that within the last nine to ten years, you've had some really good success you've had some hits out there that you've worked on that really get a lot of attention what do you attribute that to what is that because well you know the song obviously but how do you pick your projects to get involved in when it comes to producing songs i try and get involved in projects that have some commercial appeal i'm a big fan of of hits i'm a big fan of you know, pop songs. And when I say pop songs, I mean, it's more like the pop format, not really the genre of music, you know. Hip-hop mm -hmm. can be pop to me, and uh, country can be pop. Uh, urban, obviously, is pop. I'm always going to lean and get involved, creatively speaking, with projects that have that have a, a really big pop appeal. And, and um, I, I love this stuff. I love when a song is charting well. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, it's kind of a, a challenge and... Um, I love working on those and uh, try and deliver the best pop song I can. As far as audio mixing, usually I, I will take... Uh, I, I won't be as picky when it comes to mixing. I, I get hit with, uh, with, uh, with mixing by a very broad, very broad genre. Some are definitely indie rock songs, some are, are, are hip-hop, some are straight pop. When it comes to being creative... I won't do the indie rock, for example, because I don't think it's my forte. Maybe I would have, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But right now, the, the projects that I pick are just really mainstream oriented. And, and that's that's where I put my time in, essentially. Does your experience, do you feel, in producing directly affect how you mix a song for somebody? Yeah, Absolutely. Do you think that you bring a lot of those ideas and production values to your mixing? Yeah, I think that at the end of the mixing project, of a mixing gigs, I'm sorry, it will sound the way it would sound if I had produced it almost. Like it will be my my tone colors for the low end, my tone color for the for the vocal. And 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 I know that when people come with mixing requests, they're almost expecting that. You know, hmm. I like how you place the, the bass on that record and the vocal on that, you know, I like your vocal placement. I like, so I will, I think, deliver something that does have a sound that I guess I have. I mean, it, it's something that, that I do probably on the subconscious level, all of those 
decisions during the mixing process are close to my creative process. It's very difficult to explain. I don't, I don't know why, but it's very personal decisions, actually. Personal decisions to actually finish the song as if you would have produced it. But mm -hmm. obviously you didn't produce it, you didn't write it, but you give it that sound that you would want to hear. This is how I'd want to hear the song on the radio. When the chorus hit, that, that's how the vocal uh, should hit me. I mix it for me. I yeah. mix it, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like very, I want the song to speak to me. I want, I want, I want the song to, 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 to steal and grab my attention for three minutes. That's how it will achieve that so all of those all of those decisions are how i would have done it if i had been not just finishing but starting the song phil grace here on the working class audio podcast we're going to pause and i'm going to tell you all about the blue black headphones from audio technica that's right our friends over at audio technica have a new set of limited edition headphones it's the uh, athm 50 x's in a blue black color very beautiful if you're tired of the same old dull black and you want to do something a little snazzier than these blue black ones are pretty fancy. So uh, check them out. They're a limited edition. You can get them at audio-technica.com. You can buy them right off the website. And uh, that's it. Check them out. Great looking headphones. Let's get back to it. Phil Grace here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Let me switch gears for a minute. I want to ask you about um, survival in the in the course of your yeah. career. Making, making a, a living, paying the bills... <laughs> Paying for all those plane tickets, how have you adapted to make make this work for you? I'm very grateful for tools like YouTube because it's a window to what's next because kids are there just showing their stuff. Kids are here and, and they're, they're rewriting the rules as far as music production and, and songwriting. And, and, they, and they come with a share mentality that I think you and I did not grow up with I remember that when I was looking for for a way to have that vocal very early on, like before mixing anything professionally, I was trying to do with the Renaissance compressor what someone would do with an LA3, but I just did not know of the LA3. And back then, it was there was still some sort of like you know the, the secrecy of the tools used to make something sound that that way that has disappeared with the internet that has disappeared with youtube now, now all of those you know secrets i guess are out and the tools are readily available and they've been also virtualized and accessible to every to everybody so now the kids are grabbing them and they're they film themselves making songs and breaking all those rules not only using the tools that you're using but they use them maybe in a in a way that would be considered wrong, but it actually sounds very right. <laughs> and that that all of those, I mean, that, that lack of maybe classical knowledge contributes to creating a sound that I don't think I would have been able to come up just out of my brain, but they're doing it and it's amazing. And, and I use a lot of, of the, the kids' uh, um, experiences, you know. Uh, I, I mean, I learned from them. I really do, like, I really, really do, you know. The, the, the tutorials, I mean, sometimes some are off, but some are really incredible. So you would directly attribute that to your sur your survival in the in the music industry? Yeah, because uh, my, my sound has really changed. Uh, I, I think it, it, it has evolved in in a way that seems to be relevant because and I, and I, and I, I say that because I'm, I mean I, I still work. So I, I work and I study. Um, I mean, I, I'm still being asked to mix and I study, so there must be a correlation here. Staying relevant in, in, in your sonics, uh, I think it's very important. The way I do it is with the, the YouTube kids and, and all of the forums and everything. Staying also relevant with your tools because the plugin uh, companies have had an immense impact on the sonics of today's music, you know? It's incredible. Like, th th there's some sounds that were just not possible before or some some sonic ideas that, that are enabled by some particular plugins and uh, i think it's our job to to be on the top of of those novelties as far as uh, new sound treatments so I, I am invested in in always knowing what's the latest tool what's the latest trick by the latest kid <laughs> and uh, i always try and, and stay on top of that game and uh, people are still asking for mixes. So I, there must be a correlation here. 
because I mean, if if I listen to my stuff from ten years ago, I I mean, I'm like, well, what was I thinking? <laughs> well, you know, it's so it's probably it was good for the time, but the times have changed. Um, yeah, it's an on. It's really an ongoing process, and 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 it's an, it's an evolving process, and it goes really fast because there's a lot of people, a lot of, of minds now that are shaping the sound of today and of tomorrow because this, it's their game. They, they take it, and they, you know, it is. Is it important to you to stay on the on the the cutting edge of sounds and and music in what you do? Mixing for 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 so many years. I guess I've been aware of the importance of sound. It's not everything, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, I mean, a bad song will never be a great song or even a good song, even if it's mixed by, you know, in, in a stellar way. It's not. But a good song might lose its impact or might miss a relevant ear by a label, for example, or an A and R, if it's actually flawed technically like I've, I've i've had that happen to me and i've seen it happen also so i think that when you're carrying you with yourself a, a good song you have to deliver a great mix it's it's a necessity but it will not a great mix will not is nothing with a an okay song but a great True. mix is vital to a good song so it can become a great song hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, but... Um, well, I, you, you mentioned the importance of staying relevant with your tools and and, uh, and also staying relevant with, you know, seeing what the kids are doing. It sounds so old, seeing what the kids <laughs> are doing. But, and I, I, I'm just wondering, like, the ki- just to play devil's advocate, the kids are, are doing things that it just seems natural to them, the young, or the younger generation. Mm-hmm. But the older generation is also doing things that seem natural to them. Do you ever feel like, and this is, we could go down a rabbit hole here, so let's be careful. The kids could hear something that somebody older did. And when I say older, I'm talking about like you and me in our 40s. And they may say, that, that is cool. That's, that's really cutting edge what those guys are doing, when it may not be. And then they'll turn around and reinterpret it in their own way and spit it out. So... I, I guess I'm just trying to find where in this equation of music, who who really is the, on the cutting edge? Is it just young young producers and engineers who are not classically trained or, or tied to old school ways of thinking? Is that are they I, are they cutting edge by default? I think I think you you mentioned something uh, very important. Um, when 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 uh, when my ear got uh, accustomed to the EDM sound, all I could think of was how clean is this sound? It's amazingly clean, yet it's very aggressive. Um, I do believe, for example, that 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 I believe that kids do get their nowadays they do get their their basic, I guess, training. Mm-hmm. With, with classical techniques, you know, you know, defining uh, frequency range for every instrument, you know, removing unnecessary frequencies, they have access to new tools, new processes, and mm-hmm. and the freedom of experiencing and pushing those processes to the extreme. So classical basic knowledge plus uh, availability of tools and availability of new and extreme sounding tools. Um, probably contributes, you know, to the to the, the the sound that we have today. But I don't think that kids are iconoclasts. They don't. Okay. They, no, I don't think so. I think that there's a good balance between the classical way of doing things and the amazing times that we live in right now, where there's so much in one little box in front of us, and and we have a lot of time to experience it. I think it's it's a mix of of all of those parameters that has created a lot of that modern sound that we are surrounded with. Tell me about your work-life balance. I mean, balancing, you know, how much you work and how much you like hang out with friends or family. How do you how do you manage that to keep that keep everybody happy, including I, yourself? I can't lie. I love what I do and I um I often talk to my friends and family on on WhatsApp and and uh I exchange a lot of vocal notes with my sister and I can talk to my niece, talk to my mom, talk to my friends. Uh, but sometimes I won't even, I won't hear from, from, from any of them for a week or two. And 
I will be so much in the work that I won't even notice that it's been two weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a, it, and and I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I, I'm I'm not able to judge that when I when I talk to my friends, it's almost like I did not. The gap was non-existent. You know, we can still joke uh, as as we did. You know, uh, a few weeks ago. There's. I mean, I've I, I am very very into my uh, my passion. I don't even consider it a job. It's something I I do it. Be- it's something I do because I love it. Yeah. Actually, I, I love it. I would do it for free. Like I'm like yeah. I'm just happy that there's money coming in. But I love it. I I can't ex- I can't put it any other way. I I love it. You're you're married to this business right now. It is it is a marriage. It's uh it's an odd one. <laughs> but um I mean I have a social life, but I love the studio life and I love making music with with people who love making music and who are also studio rats and and yeah. have have the same goal as 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 I do, you know. It's I think it's a blessing when you can find. Isn't that interesting? How some of us like we build our social life around our music business, our music world life. Yeah, our friends, our social connections, our <laughs> other yeah. professionals. Yeah, I think it's out of, of out of necessity because else we'd be very lonely, and 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 it's also you know probably some something to talk about and joke about because i mean it it's a, it is a bit abnormal to be to 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 become your job right it's, a, it's abnormal mm-hmm. but when you can share that abnormality with other people who are as abnormal as you you feel you feel less crazy <laughs> you know yeah you can, i mean i always wonder like you know like if you're a cia agent you know yeah. uh like or officer, do you hang out with other <laughs> intelligence officers or, or or spies? You know, so you can talk shop. Exactly. Because if you go to the to the dinner party where you got bankers and musicians yeah. and librarians, it's like, yeah. well, what do you do? Oh, I work for the CIA. Uh-huh. I mean, you can't really go into detail about what you do when you're a recording professional, and you go to an event where. Not everybody else is doing the same thing or a variation of it, and they they all have like you know corporate day jobs. It's kind of weird. It is. It is. Although I will say this, my 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 two best friends have nothing to do with music, and it's something that I kind of I rely on that to to just get me out of my head sometime. Um, <laughs> no, and and I mean I've known those guys for like twenty plus years. It, they're that kind of friends that you know I. I uh, I can call in the middle of the night, they're going to pick up and they have no clue. They don't understand what I do. And I love that. <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to ask you about mentorship. Yeah. Uh, do you, have you had a, a mentor or any mentors in life that you want to talk about? I did not. You I did, did not. No, I did not. And, and I, I guess in, I had times of self of self doubt uh, regarding my processes um, okay. because I'm, I'm very self doubt regarding a lot of the technical stuff. Completely self doubts to be to be perfectly honest with you. And to this day, I don't know if what I'm doing is academically right. I know it right. works. I guess I just grew yeah. past this, the the, the self doubts phase. But there was times where I was like, I wish that I could have someone tell me if this is right. But I did not. However, I am I'm, I'm very involved with other people's craft and, and uh, I get to be uh, asked a lot of questions as if I was a mentor. I'm not a mentor for anyone, but I, I share whatever I can as far as help or knowledge or whatever uh-huh. I mean knowledge it's oh. essentially my own theories of, of of audio but I share that a lot with with great pleasure it's a one-way mentorship but it goes out I guess well you know I, I gotta say you may not know it but you could be a mentor to somebody you may not think of yourself as a mentor but there could be somebody out there who you've given advice to who looks up to you as a mentor without necessarily telling you that I think that it's very uncommon for people to acknowledge a mentorship relationship. Sometimes it's it's it seems like it's an unspoken thing or it's it's Absolutely. not talked about. It's not like you call somebody up and say, "Would you be my mentor?" <laughs> Let me ask you a question. You know, I mean, I, I I've I've had people 
tell me, oh, you've been a great mentor to me. And I'm like, really? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> oh, you did this, you did that. You know, oh, okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. So and I would counter that you probably are a mentor to somebody and you don't even know it. That's, that's, that's possible. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's very, uh, it's very humbling because I always feel like when, when a question is, is being asked to me, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to remind them that, Hey, you know, already the answer and you know, you know, I'm just going to point you, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, it's probably because I did not have a mentor. I don't know exactly how to, uh, to, to approach it, but I try to just empower uh, whoever is asking a question as there's no magic trick. There's none. It's just listening, 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 and then taking what you have in front of you and bringing it up to where you have it in your head. And those are the tools. And you just have to figure out a path. It's very easy. But you know what a dynamic processor does? You know what an EQ does? You know what spatial processes do? Just if you have enough experience with your tools, then you can actually dial a sound in your head and, and have it in front of you. It's just, uh, you just have to be aware that the source in front of you is, is not where you want it to be. And then you just dial in where it should be in your head. Have I just, have I just done some mentorship right now? <laughs> some uncalled mentorship. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, networking. Do, do you put a lot of effort into networking? I mean, you and I met yes. at uh, the last NAMM show. Absolutely. Via our mutual friend, uh, Stefan. Yes, absolutely. So um, can you tell me a little bit about what networking means to you and how important or not important, you know, depending on your point of view, how, how it works in your life? It's, it's important. Showing up and showing skin, uh, whether at, uh, at, uh, at uh, some events or, or, you know, professional gathering. I mean, it's, it's always a good thing. First of all, just out of the, the the pure pleasure of seeing familiar faces, that's that's always a plus. Yeah. And and I mean, one time out of two, you will actually, you know, come out of of those events with um, an opportunity of any sort. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be only business; it can also be human. I mean, you and I, like you mentioned, we met there, and we're doing an interview now. It's uh, it's a cool thing. I think it's it's important, and it also allows us to get out of our cave. No matter how nice the cave, it's still a cave. <laughs> it's still you know it's still kind of a, an isolated place, and we we need an incentive to get out of it. And I think networking is is, is a good way to do it. It's always pleasurable. Um, so yeah, definitely, it's very important at all levels, <laughs> business yeah. and health wise. I always feel that if you show up, you know, like say to a trade show year after year after year, not only do you get to know people, but they also start to see, oh, okay, this, this person's into their craft. They're dedicated. They're here. They're yeah. present. Yeah. It is important to get out. So that brings me to my next question. How do you feel that you get most of your work, whether it's mixing work or production work? How do people call upon you, and where, where, what is the source of that? Um, only word of mouth. I, um, mm. I, I've been at it for, oh my God, 1996, 95 actually. I mean, I don't even have a website, which I'm being told is a very bad thing. But I mean, I'm, I'm fairly low key on, 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 on all of those social networks things. Uh, I just know a lot of people. Over the years, I've, I've and so, so it's a lot of messaging, so some texting and some, 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 the result of networking, probably, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that a lot of networking I used to do. I don't have to look usually. It's a blessing, but it's been 20 plus years in the making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there, do you have a manager? I don't have a manager. <laughs> okay. I don't have a manager. I used to have my own label and publishing company. And I had I had some managers working with uh, with the artists that that were, were in the label. That was that was something else that I that I did as well. The way that I had my day to day job when I was uh, running those companies was essentially managing the companies, and and my my business side took over the the creative side for for uh, close to 
uh, five, six years, but enough to actually give me the right instincts when it comes to, to business, for example. And I think that now that I'm back on the, you know, just the creative side of things and just coming up with songs and doing occasional mixes, I think that if I had a manager, I would want things done in such a particular way that I would drive him crazy. It's easier for me to just, you know, just like I'm the front and I'm okay because it goes quick. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't need to think much about, about this stuff. I, I know, I know how to go through uh, a transaction or a negotiation fairly quickly. So, yeah, I think it'd be detrimental now to have a manager for me. There is something to be said for doing things on your own and being self-reliant. I have to say that that's, that's something I, I a, a trait that I share with you and that I always want it done a particular way. It's been like for this podcast alone. I mean, it's been very difficult for me to delegate. Yeah. I'm very slow to delegate tasks to people because I want it done a particular way. And it's just yeah. so much faster to just do it. It is. It is. And you get to the ideal that is in your head. You get there quicker most of the time. However, no, there, there, there's definitely a power in delegation. I, I, I do find a lot of, I collaborate on the creative side, sides of things more than I ever have collaborated before. That is a blessing. That is very empowering. Biz, mm. Business-wise, I have not found the right collaboration that would make me say the same thing for the business or for the anything uh -huh. else but the creative stuff but as far as collaborating creatively speaking i mean i am i'm blessed i've been blessed the last couple of years to just work with people that i consider you know colleagues and and, and people that, uh, that there's a real like, common you know a common goal and common hands there's multiple hands and it's cool i don't have that in business yet i have not had that Phil, we're, we're about out of time. It's, it's been great to chat with you. Now, I know you don't have a website, but you do have an About Me page. I know that. <laughs> I do. So uh, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. And right. uh, that links people to your Facebook page, Correct. Uh, which they could follow uh, what you're doing. So Correct. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a link to both, Yes. even though you can get from one to the other. Um, just a heads up for my English-speaking audience, uh, there's, there's a few posts in French, so you'll just have to use the Facebook translator for some of it. Yes. Once again, Phil, thank you so much. I know you're crazy busy, and uh, I appreciate the time you've taken today to chat with me and answer my questions. It's, it's great to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I'll see you again probably at another trade show. Absolutely, and with great pleasure. Yeah. All right. All right, Phil, thank you so much. Phil Grace here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for taking a listen. Before we head out, I want to thank our sponsors. That includes, of course, Lawton Audio, Gearsluts.com, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, and Focal Monitors. And of course, we got to thank the great Cliff Truesdale, Chuck Smith, and Cole Williams. And I want to thank you for listening. As usual, spread the word. Social media, letters, postcards, whatever it takes. Tell all your friends and uh, continue listening. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.